Hello, my name is Samuel Woff, Senior Associate at Cause Chambers Westgarth, and you're listening to Cause High Viz. In two important rulings handed down recently, the High Court has done two things construction professionals have been waiting on for a while. First, it clarified the scope of review from an adjudicator's determination. Second, it has provided guidance on when a payment clause will be a prohibited pay-when-pay clause. To unpack these decisions and what they mean for our listeners, I'm joined by Wayne Josick, Co-Director of Construction Law Studies at Melbourne University, and Todd Spiller, Senior Associate from our Brisbane office. Thanks for joining me, guys. In the first decision, Probill Constructions and Shade Systems, it was alleged the adjudicator made an error in interpreting a liquidated damages clause. Now, putting aside for a second the question of whether or not an error was in fact made, the more important question for the High Court was, what are we going to do about it? Can this be reviewed in any case? The High Court held, in general, errors were not able to be reviewed because the efficient flow of cash through the contractual chain would be blocked whilst applications for review were being heard. I say in general, and of course there are a narrow range of circumstances where review will still be possible, but these generally will not be applicable to the majority of cases. So the High Court's decision does provide some clarity, though this may be a small comfort if you're on the wrong side of a losing determination. Wayne, uh, I know you know a little bit about this, so would you mind giving us your views? Yeah, look, I think it's really easy to get lost in these cases. There are two of them. We know they're security payment decisions all the time. But I think we can really draw these twin decisions down to two really important points. Now, the first one is this question. Can you appeal from an adjudication? And you think the answer would be fairly clear, but it's taken us a long time to get High Court guidance on this. And the practical answer is you probably can't, provided the adjudicator has behaved even vaguely sensibly, they've been properly appointed, there's a construction contract, all those basic, those essential requirements for the adjudicator to be able to do their job. If they've done that, then you're probably not going to be successful in seeking court intervention at least until you get to resolving the dispute ultimately under the construction contract. So that I think is the main thing. That's the headline observation that a lot of people are talking about and that's an important one, but there's a bit more to say about it later. The second thing is really quite a compelling reminder. So a lot of us know that security payment legislation prohibits these pay when paid, these pay if paid clauses so that you can't make payments say under a subcontract, contingent on the contractor being paid under the head contract. So we know that the trouble is this decision has reminded us uh, that that goes quite far. So if you are dealing with a subcontract, if you're dealing with one that has back-to-back obligations, uh, the decision in MaxCon is actually uh, some uh, cause for concern. And that's because if you're trying to avoid inconsistent obligations, you might be doing things like having linked claims. You might have provisions that say that determinations that are made under the head contract also apply in the subcontract. You might say that things like uh, a a certificate of occupancy under the head contract uh, trigger final payments under the subcontract. And all of those things now are in potential doubt uh, that they might, in effect, be pay-when-paid provisions. So they're the two things I'd say. One, about whether you can appeal. Short answer is it's going to be harder than ever. Uh, And then the second one, this reminder that the pay-when-paid prohibition can really bite. I think there are four comments that I'd like to make in relation to um, that introduction, Wayne, Um, mainly around the first part of the High Court's conclusion. 
The first thing being that even though the High Court has now drawn the distinction between the basic and fundamental things which you need to get right in an adjudication, which if you do, the rest of the decision is going to be untouchable, the battleground may just shift to whether or not one of those basic and fundamental things has been breached. Um, there's no bright line distinction between um, when an adjudicator has acted um, sensibly and within their power versus when they've gone outside of their power and breached one of those basic requirements. So I expect there to be um, some more litigation as we sort of settle the parameters there. The second thing is that the High Court emphasised in their decision that um, one of the reasons why you can't get an appeal or a review of these, for lack of a better way of saying it, more minor errors, even though they might involve a lot of money, um, is because you can still, at the end of the project, go to court as per normal and have these matters dealt before a judge per the normal litigation process or through arbitration or however you've set up the contract. The reality is that there's going to be a certain class of claims where it's simply not economically viable to um, chase the money in that fashion. And um, so for all intents and purposes, the adjudicator's decision on those sorts of more minor amounts is going to be final. That then leads to the sort of unusual conclusion where you might have an adjudicator's determination, this is the third point, which is for, let's say, $500,000, which is a lot of money um, to make an adjudication on in a very compressed time frame of only 10 days, which for all intents and purposes is final. And that's quite... Um, that would make it quite a unique and almost remarkable um, feature of our Australian ecosystem, which a legal ecosystem, which usually has more checks and balances than nothing um, for amounts in dispute of that amount. Um, and the final point to make is that even though um, many of the eastern seaboard states have enacted similar security payment legislation, it's to pro it's to be borne in mind that this decision related to the New South Wales legislation. Um, and at least in Victoria, there's, without going into the detail, there are unique constitutional provisions in the Victorian Constitution, which mean that the High Court's reasoning is going to have fairly limited application here in Victoria. Um, and so that probably needs to be borne in mind by Victorian building practitioners as they sort of digest the decision that things in Victoria are a little bit unique. Um, and that actually segues well, Todd, to... Um, you up in Queensland and um, we understand that you've had a look at this and have some comments to make as well from a Queensland perspective. Uh, thanks Sam. Uh, in short the decision in ProBuild doesn't fundamentally change the position in Queensland. It, it simply fortifies the position as it was generally understood that an adjudication decision can only be impugned on the basis of jurisdictional error. Uh, the longer answer is this. Uh, and it probably requires us to um, briefly address a quirk of legislative intervention in Queensland. Um, for a long time, the proposition arising from the case law in Queensland has been that an adjudication application under the, the BCIP Act, if, if I can call it that, may be successfully attacked for jurisdictional error. Uh, now, that proposition has an interesting history. Uh, you see, when the BCIP Act was introduced, decisions of adjudicators were held to be reviewable under the, the JRA, the Judicial Review Act. However, in 2007, the JRA was amended with the intention that, a provision to the effect that, adjudication decisions made under the BCIP Act were excluded 
from review under the procedures contained um, in the in the JRA. That intention did not hold for long, however. Uh, in Kirk and Industrial Court of New South Wales, which was decided in, in 2011, the High Court held that legislation could deny the availability of relief for non-jurisdictional error of law, but that legislation which sought to take away from a state Supreme Court power to grant relief on account of jurisdictional error was beyond power. Put simply, uh, adjudication decisions could be set aside on the grounds of jurisdictional error, but, a, but not a, a non-jurisdictional error of law. However, the, the supervisory jurisdiction of the Supreme Court remained. For those that are interested in Queensland, this position was confirmed following Kirk in uh, a decision of Justice White, North Build, Construction and, and Central Interior Linings. So as I said, the, the supervisory jurisdiction of the, the court remained, but the boundaries of judicial review had not been firmly determined in Queensland. And look, it, it remained possible, or <laughs> I suppose at least faintly arguable, that a decision could be challenged on the basis of an error of law on the face of the record based on an order in the nature of certiorari. Although, you know, I should note that the prospects of that were dim, given that there had been decisions to the effect that such errors within jurisdiction were not reviewable. So that was the position. But following the decision in ProBuild, we think the position is clear. Queensland courts do not have jurisdiction to quash adjudication determinations for non-jurisdictional error. The purpose of the Queensland legislation is materially the same as, as New South Wales. Uh, interim and speedy adjudications designed to in effect, protect cash flow. And as a result, the reasoning of the High Court is applicable. In the absence of the High Court and, I suppose, the the Court of Appeal Authority and ProBuild, it would have been interesting to observe the implication of the decision at first instance on the conduct of parties in Queensland. At first instance in ProBuild, it was relevant to Justice Emmett that there was nothing in the New South Wales legislation which contained the court and no legislative intention to exclude the availability of judicial review in the case of non-jurisdictional error on the the face of the record. But in Queensland, the amendment to the Judicial Review Act and the decision in Kirk, which I described earlier, arguably put the the position beyond doubt. In any event, we we are uh, where we are with the High Court decision in ProBuild, And the position is now, I suppose, that the parties are left in Queensland to identify jurisdictional errors or um, breaches of natural justice if they wish to overturn an adjudication decision. The boundaries, of course, of of jurisdictional error uh, will still be disputed. uh, And look, it would be unsurprising to hear further from cause hive-is as cases emerge uh, where those boundaries um, and those very questions Uh, in issue. Thanks for that, Todd. That's a helpful insight. Um, We might just wrap up now, Wayne. uh, I know you had some final thoughts that you wanted to convey. Yeah, look, I think these are cases that you could look at in a Twitter feed and say, yep, got it. Uh, But the reality is uh, both of these cases raise some ongoing questions. One of those things is, well, what's a jurisdictional error? 
And we've got guidance on that in New South Wales in particular, going back through old cases like Chase Oyster Bar, uh, like Broden, and it's just not easy to say there's going to be more litigation about that. One of the other concerns we've said is the scope of the prohibition on pay when paid clauses. And the other thing that we haven't mentioned so far is that we know that the Murray Review has taken place. We don't know what he's reported. We don't know what the governments will do in response to that. And so that's one of the big unresolved questions for 2018. And that's all for today's podcast. We here at Cause will certainly be keeping a close eye on how this decision is applied going forward. And should you have any queries, please don't hesitate to be in contact with someone from our team. This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice for your specific circumstances.